All right, so Hebrews 13. We're actually at the end of this letter, and um, we're looking at, um, oh, tonight I want to look at from Hebrews chapter 12, um, verse uh, 18, and most of chapter 13 as well. So I don't want to just read through that now, but the issue for um, the Hebrews, and the name of this letter uh, is, is given to it by the people to whom the letter was sent. And um, these are Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. And it's a church that's having trouble. It's a church that is considering going back to the synagogue, going back to the temple, going back to the animal sacrifices, questioning whether Jesus of Nazareth is really the Messiah. And so you might say that the overall theme of Hebrews is who is worthy to come before God? Who is worthy to pray to God? Who is worthy to gather with God's people and worship God? Or another way to put it is, where do the people of God worship? Where is the place that you worship? And so I asked you to turn to Hebrews 13, so stay here, but keep your hand there. But also, I want to do this tonight. Do you remember what Jesus said to the, to the Samaritan woman when she met him and he met her at that well? Do you remember? And I want you to see this. Hold your place here and briefly look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now, if you remember, in Deuteronomy, God says, I will decide where you're to worship, the place, and I will decide how you are to worship. So um, as Israel went into the so-called promised land, it was already filled with people who were worshiping God in any number of ways, gods and goddesses. Some of the things that they were doing in the promised land before God's people filled it, they would sacrifice they would sacrifice not only animals but children and they would do all kinds of what the bible considers immorality and call it worship so it was a very bad situation and it was a very violent culture so god says i'm going to bring you into this land that i promised you through abraham and isaac and jacob you're going to fill the land, but you've got to abolish all their worship. You've got to get rid of all their images and idols, and you, you, you will worship me where I tell you to worship me, and then the way I want you to worship me. So just like we, we, we know that the Bible says there's one way to God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that, that is a principle that fills the Bible. There's one God. There's one place to worship. There's one way to obey God. We are not given the choices to decide for ourselves how we're going to do this or that. God made us. He made us in his image, and he made us to know him. And our best hope for joy and satisfaction and contentment and delight and fulfillment is to listen to him and to believe him and follow him through Jesus Christ. So look what happens here. Knowing Jesus Christ, who he was, and that he knew the word of God through and through, right? Look what happens here. He meets this woman, and in John chapter 4, verse 19, 
The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So the, the woman was a Samaritan, and there was this argument between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans said, you worship over here, Jacob's well. And the Jews said, no way, that's, that's sinful, that's rebellion. You're supposed to worship in Jerusalem where the temple is and the priests are, right? That was their argument. Now Jesus, he doesn't side with the one or the other. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. This is a huge change. I want you to understand that. He could have been taken out in stone right there at that very moment if he'd have said this in Jerusalem and the wrong people heard him. In other words, he's going against what God Almighty said in Deuteronomy chapter 12, which we read, right? Now, of course, he is God Almighty. <laughs> and something is up. Something big is happening here. Verse 22, you, Samaritan woman with your Samaritan compatriots, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, it comes from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, must worship in spirit and truth. So the hour is coming, and now is, when you will not worship here on this mountain or in Jerusalem. What does that mean? And it is the argument that is taking place in the whole book of Hebrews. So I want to ask you, did what Jesus just say there in John 4 ever come to pass? Indeed, it has come to pass. Now, the other thing I wanted you to notice from back then, and I don't know if you saw it there, but Jesus identifies himself to the woman as the Messiah. I didn't point that out to you. Um, look at this. Are you still in John 4? Take a look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he doesn't really admit who he is until the 16th chapter of Matthew, for example, where he says, who do men say that I am? Mention that this morning. But here, he's in Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman, and he admits right here and there, I'm the Messiah. And the point that he's making here is what I just said about worship, I'm telling you about worship Things have changed because of me, because I have come. Yes, I am the Messiah, and I have come, and I've explained these things to you. What's going on in Hebrews, after Jesus died and rose again, then ascended to heaven, and the apostles were preaching the gospel, men and women, the Hebrews, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And over time, they were being persecuted. 
Um, their former friends and family members were arguing with them from the Old Testament, saying, you, Jesus can't be the Messiah. And they were giving, him, giving them all these reasons. And some of the Jewish Christians and Hebrews were wobbling and, and wavering their, in their faith. So God raised up he, the book of Hebrews to help them to see that Jesus really is the one who fulfilled all the Old Testament. And the one place where you and I worship is Jesus Christ. He's the place of worship today. Why do you think he said, for example, in John 16, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. It's because everything comes to us now through Jesus Christ. So we pray through his name because he is the Messiah and the high priest of God. So now all that went before Jesus came was pointing to Jesus the one place to worship, well, that turns out to be Jesus Christ. And now it's through him that we worship God, that we know God, that we can know we're accepted by God, we can praise God, pray to God, we can walk with God because of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have Hebrews. Let me show you something else now, going back to Hebrews chapter 1. Stay holding your place in 13. We will get there. Hebrews chapter 1. Remember how Hebrews begins. This is very significant. Hebrews begins in a very powerful way. Stands out how he starts this letter. He says in Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, so on, spoke to the fathers in the prof by the prophets, verse 2 has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So everything that came before Jesus was about Jesus. And now he has spoken one final word to all mankind and especially to us people, and that's in his son. And look who his son is. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. So Jesus owns everything through whom also he made the world. So Jesus is the creator. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So that's, that's Jesus, when he came into this world, he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. It's because Jesus is God come in the flesh. And it says, and upholding all things by the word of his power. So like God, he is omnipotent. He holds everything up just by his word. I mean, you and I can't hold anything up by our word. In fact, we can do a lot of trouble with our words. We can make a lot of people angry. Maybe we can do that with our words, but that's not really what we're supposed to be doing, right? When he had by himself purged our sins, that's what he did for us, died on the cross, paid for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high with his father, having become so much better than the angels as he, is, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So Hebrews starts off and he says, brothers and sisters, God has spoken once more for all time and eternity in Jesus Christ because all that went before him was about him and he has come and fulfilled all of that. I have another place for you, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, it's November, believe it or not. We're already in November. After November comes December. So we have the kids are going to do a pageant. 
We're going to have a Christmas concert. We're going to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, a little later on in November, we're going to have Thanksgiving. I want to invite you to our Thanksgiving Day service, which will be right here at 9 o'clock, Thanksgiving Day morning. And uh, we praise the Lord and, and we testify and give praises to him Thanksgiving. But look at this. This is a John's Christmas verse. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we, John says, we and the, the disciples, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the unique Son of God. There's no other Son of God like Jesus, because he is God the Son, like the Father is God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now, yeah, we are sons and daughters of God by faith, but we're not God, and we will never be God. But we are made in his image, and we're restored to God through faith in Jesus But there's only one Son of God that is God the Son, and that's Jesus Christ. But notice that word dwelt among us. That is the word that was used in the Old Testament for the tabernacle. And in the Old Testament, the the tabernacles were God dwelt with his people. So Jesus is God tabernacling with us. So guess what? Jesus is the temple. So the Old Testament temple, whether it was the tabernacle that was mobile and could be carried around, or the stationary temple that was built out of stone by Solomon in Jerusalem, that represented God among his people. And then God comes, Jesus, and he dwelt, he tabernacles among us. And now when we are saved, he puts us all together as spiritual living stones, and we become his dwelling place. So that's why only through Christ is our worship acceptable to God. Because it's only through Christ that your sins are paid for, not through any animal sacrifices. It's only through Christ's priesthood, he's the high priest, that we can come to God the Father through his priesthood and we pray and worship in his name. And by our coming to God in faith, we offer our sacrifices, which are not bloody sacrifices of animals. We worship our sacrifices, praise, thanksgiving, spiritual sacrifices. And we're going to see in Hebrews 13... We do good and we share. In other words, we present our bodies and everything that we do in these bodies are meant to be spiritual sacrifices to our God as we live our lives. You see the big difference then? In the Old Testament, you had two kinds of people, priests and everybody else. Who got to serve at the temple? Only the priests. Now we're the priests and we are the temple. And through Jesus Christ, we serve God every day. All of life is worship. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of course, this is, this is a cosmic shift in the thinking of God's people. And so the Hebrews are they're trying to comprehend this. They're trying to figure it out and take it all in. And they're having a tough time with it. Now, you and I, we're, we're, we're kind of used to this because it's been a couple thousand years have gone by. And this is what the, we have taught in the church for all those years. But remember, this is very early and they're struggling with it. And we can be thankful to God that they were struggling with it because then we get the whole book of Hebrews by, by their struggle. So it's really great. So now, going back to Hebrews 13. Now, what was going on with these struggling believers? Hebrews 13, verse 7. He says to them, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So he's looking back when the the Hebrews first came to Christ. The 
um, the apostles came and preached to them, and they, they started to believe, and a church was formed, or churches. He's saying, now remember who they were. Remember what they preached. Remember how they lived their lives. And, and don't give up what they taught you. Don't turn away from what they taught you. And look what else he says. He says, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he's saying is, Jesus was the same Jesus back in the Old Testament when God's people worshipped him that way. And remember, worship in the Old Testament was um, what, the, what the book of Hebrews calls shadows or types or models. Like I've told you before, I have a model of a 69 Camaro. Because I was making a joke here a few years ago that how I would love to have a Camaro. And so um, I think it was a birthday or something, and somebody showed up with a model of a Camaro and said, here's your Camaro. And I was happy to have it, but I wish I had one I could drive. But I still have the Camaro up over in my house, up, in the, up on the desk. Um, but the, the model is not the real thing. So the temple was really a model of Jesus. The priests were really a model of Jesus. The animal sacrifices were models of the sacrifice of Christ, right? So when Christ comes, we don't need animal sacrifices anymore. We have a priest, and we become priests, and we are the temple of God. And that's what he's saying to them. So he goes on to say in verse um, 9, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines or teachings, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So it seems like they were going back to the to dietary rules. They were going back to the temple, to the synagogue. You're not allowed to eat pork and things like that. And they were losing their grip on Jesus Christ. And he's saying, don't do that. Remember who taught you, what they taught you. Remember, Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't go back to the BC. Go on with the new covenant where Christ died for us and shed his blood for us. So that's going on. Now, I don't want to minimize the difficulty that these men and women had. Because as I started out tonight, I reminded you that God made it very clear. And for thousands of years, God said, worship me here in Jerusalem at this temple. So when the change took place, when Jesus finally came, the Messiah, they're not going, it's going to be hard for them to process this and take everything that they were used to all their lives, synagogue, temple, going down to Jerusalem three times a year. We must worship this way and only this way. And How can I be forgiven if there's no animal sacrifices? What if I'm not there when the Day of Atonement takes place? What am I going to do? He's saying, listen, Jesus Christ has fulfilled that. Okay? Now, this is how he, he does that. Look at um, verse uh, 10. <clears throat> We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So the writer of Hebrews refers to the temple as the tabernacle here. That's how he refers to it. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. He's saying that we can worship God. And if others don't come to Jesus to worship him, they cannot worship him. You can't be right with God without an altar. Now you say, well, we don't have an altar. And remember, our church does not have an altar. I know people talk about the altar up front at the church. This church doesn't have an altar. No church should have an altar. Some churches do have altars. They shouldn't have altars. We have a table. 
And what does that table represent? The broken body and the shed blood. We don't offer animals anymore, and we don't offer Jesus anymore. He suffered once for all. So we don't have an altar. We have a table, and it's a table where we come together with God in fellowship because we are saved. We are forgiven. We are right with God. We are acceptable to God because of what Jesus Christ did. We're saved by grace through faith. That's the point, and that's what he's saying here. And then he says in verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What he means is that when Jesus was crucified, he had to carry his cross out of the city up to Calvary, Golgotha, and he was crucified outside of the city. Now, do you know what he's talking about there when he's talking about the animals? He's talking about the Day of Atonement. Remember what the Day of Atonement was? Once a year, Yom Kippur, the Jews celebrate this to this day. And it's when the high priest offers animal sacrifice for himself and his family to purify himself and his family and the priest, and then offers a sacrifice to purify Israel. And without that sacrifice, Israel's sin still remains. And they are defiled, and they cannot be forgiven. What the writer is saying is that Jesus Christ is our day of atonement. And so they would take the carcasses of these sacrificed animals outside of the city and burn them. And so he's making the point that that's why Jesus went outside of the city when it was time for him to be crucified. He fulfilled the day of atonement. He fulfilled the sin offering. And what happens after those offerings are, are, are made to God? We have fellowship with God. So there were the sin offerings in the Old Testament. There were the burnt offerings. But there were also the fellowship offerings. And the point was that when an offering of sin was made so that you were forgiven, the door opened for you to fellowship with God. So the point is that Christ did offer himself once and for all for us, as is the argument of Hebrews, then our fellowship with God, the door is open, and we don't have to be afraid anymore because through Christ, we are always acceptable to God. When we sin, we ask forgiveness. We don't offer another animal. We ask forgiveness. We repent and ask forgiveness, and Christ and the Father are always welcoming us. Remember Jesus said he would leave the 99 and go after the one that went astray. That's how gracious our God is. And that's, that's what's going on here when he says this. Then he says in verse 13, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. He's saying, brothers and sisters, I know they make fun of you. I know they argue against you. I know they say Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. His mother was a fornicator. He was born illegitimately. He was from the wrong side of town. He was from Nazareth. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he wasn't born in Bethlehem. They got it all wrong. He was a sorcerer. The miracles he did were magic. They weren't really from God. They said all that. And these poor brothers and sisters were, well, is this true? And if, if he's not the Messiah, we need to get back to the synagogue. We need to get back to the temple, right? He's saying, you're going to suffer reproach. People are going to mock you. People are going to think that you're shameful or you're a fanatic or I don't want anything to do with you. 
We need to go outside the camp. You're going to have to stop hanging around with your synagogue friends and your temple friends and your former associates. They don't believe, and they're just going to drag you down. Yes, they'll make fun of you. Yes, they'll mock you. Maybe they won't do business with you. Maybe your parents will cut you off, or your kids won't have anything to do with you anymore. Maybe they won't let you see your grandkids. could be really bad. But we've got to follow Jesus, even if it means shame and reproach and rejection. So he says in verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now, if you want to see that city that, that we're seeking, read Revelation 21 and 22. You'll find it there. Revelation 21 and 22. You'll see it there. And this is exactly what he had said in chapter 11 about Abraham and Moses. They were looking for what God had promised. See, they could see that what they were doing in sacrificing animals and all of the things that, that God revealed to them that God was revealing something greater than what he showed them. He was showing them Christ is coming. And they were not stuck in the B.C. The B.C. for them enabled them to look ahead to the A.D. when Christ would come. And so that's what what he's doing here. And he says in verse 15, Therefore, by him, by Jesus Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice, not of animals, but of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's what we come to do on the Lord's Day. That's just one of the places where we do this. But throughout the day, you can stop and give praise to God. You know, you get up, you go outside, maybe the sun is shining. It's really great these days to see the sun shining. It's been raining so many times over the last few months. See the sun shining, go... I praise you for that. It's okay to praise God for the rain, too, by the way, because things are really green out there. I think the trees were having a hard time turning color because they got so much rain this past summer and and fall. And then he says, verse 16, and do not forget to do good, and that's what you do with your lives, and to share. You share your life. You share your fellowship. You share your friendship. You share your possessions. You share your money with those who have needs. And that's also sacrifices, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Is that making sense to you about how things have changed? We, therefore, if we offer sacrifices, that makes us priests. Correct? Because when a man or a woman in Israel who was not a priest needed to make a sacrifice, they would pay for the animal, but they had to take it to the priest, and the priest would do the sacrifice. But we make the sacrifices, because we're the priesthood, and Christ is the high priest. Um, Let me show you uh, in regard to this, um, Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to finish our time here with this. So the question is, who is allowed to worship God? Who has that right? Who has that forgiveness? Who is washed by the blood of the Lamb? Who has any right to enter into God's presence? Well, look at this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. All right then? Let us hold fast our confession. That's our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We sin, he never sinned. 
Then look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can come right into the presence of God. Remember who was allowed to do that in the Old Testament? One man. How many times a year? Once a year, the Day of Atonement. Christ is our Day of Atonement. Remember when Jesus died, what happened to the veil? It was torn from top to bottom. That means we have access to the Holy of Holies through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, also, take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. And this is all through Hebrews. So when you go back over Hebrews, look for these things. They're very encouraging to us. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Now, the throne of grace is the Holy of Holies. But now it's going to say it specifically. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So the veil at the temple represented Jesus' body being put on the cross. See that? Through his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God or the family of God, that temple of God, which we are, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Don't be bashful when you pray. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Don't think, oh, God would never listen to me. Oh, no? You believe in Jesus? He wants to hear you. You're his son. You're his daughter. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Don't be reluctant. Don't hold back. Go into the presence with a holy and yet humble boldness, humble because you're trusting in Christ, but bold because you believe in Jesus, that what he did for you, he did, and it's exactly the right thing for you to do is go boldly into the throne of grace. Let us draw near with a true heart, be sincere, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So you say, well, you know, I've done bad things, Lord. Yeah, only Jesus is without sin. But did you throw those bad things away and you said to the Lord, forgive me, I admit them, I confess them. And through the blood of Christ, you're washed and cleansed inside and out. And that's what the water of baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes God's complete washing of you and renewing you. So you see that here. So according to the Bible, you and I are acceptable to God only through Jesus Christ. You try to get to God any other way, you'll be rejected. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's a curious phenomenon to me, and you can ask Dave Clark. He's an expert on cults, for example, and religions. It's a curious phenomenon to me, if not a little unsettling, to see men and women today even, and all throughout history, who say they believe in Jesus and salvation by grace going back to old covenant forms and practices. And it happens, and it's wrong. Yet it happens all around us. Let me give you for instance. Right at the start of the new covenant church, Paul had to write to the Galatians. Because what they were, were they doing? Going back to circumcision. Going back to the old covenant rules and rituals. And he said, I'm afraid for you because it looks like you're falling from grace. Right at the beginning, Galatians is one of the earliest writings of Paul. They were going back to be Jews, Judaism. Today you have the Seventh-day Adventist. You can't be a good Christian if you don't obey their dietary rules. You're not allowed to eat this, you're not allowed to drink that. I think the Mormons do that too, a bit of that. 
Christ is the way to God. You are made right with God through Christ plus nothing. It's Christ and Christ alone, right? Or the Roman Catholic Church. You walk into there, it's like you're back in the Old Testament. They do have an altar. And they turn the, the bread and the cup into the body and blood of Christ. Or the Orthodox Church, the vestments and all of that. Hey, do not distract our attention from Jesus Christ. Um, many Messianic Jews have revived the old covenant ritual meals and observances. And they treat them as though that they're necessary. No. Christ is our Passover. Christ is our Day of Atonement. Christ fulfilled every single one of those feasts and sacrifices and rules and rituals. Read Colossians, for example. They were shadows. Christ is the substance. So watch out, because I think this is one of the devil's schemes, is to try to make people think they're holier and more righteous and they're more religious and they have more of God and and that they're doing something for God that others aren't doing and all they're doing is going back to self-righteousness. What I do, what I think, what I believe, it's Christ and Christ alone. Um, And let me get into trouble here tonight. Evangelicals are looking to rebuild a temple to have animal sacrifices again? Is that, is that really what we should be looking for? I think we should be looking for Christ to come back, not temples to be built and sac- animal sacrifices to be made. I'm probably going to get in trouble with a person or two here, but watch out. What are we looking Are we going back or are we going to see Jesus come? That's, I think, who we should see. And I'm going to stop here. And maybe I'll give you a couple more verses next time. But uh, tonight we're going to have some of the kids come up and they're going to do a little ministry. I think it's the tadpoles. They're going to do a ministry in the church. And so I want to close. So when they come in, we have the way cleared for them. Uh, it's, it's one of their service projects. You know, the tadpoles are being taught. Even you, a little child like you, you can serve the Lord. So I'm going to stop here. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would not allow any one of us to be sidetracked, distracted, misled, deceived, or led astray by anything that sounds good, sounds holy, sounds biblical, but leads us away or distracts us from your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we believe in you, Lord Jesus. We are right with you, Father, because of your Son. There's no other way but your Son. We praise you and thank you for coming to our rescue. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. We'll ask God's blessing upon you. And now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.